Our scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, if you'd like to follow along in the program or in your Bible. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. Can we take, take a moment, let's just pray again. Dear Father, when you speak, your words bring light and life and hope and healing, and we pray that you would, through your scripture, speak today. Amen. For the last few weeks, we have been talking about spiritual disciplines, and that's a, that's a title that is often given to certain practices that Christians engage in in order to keep growing in their faith and stay clo close to the Lord. So the list of these disciplines would include um, things like reading the Bible, fasting, praying, attending worship, taking communion. It's, there's, a, there's a long list. And today, the final of these disciplines that we want to talk about is the discipline of giving. We want to talk about giving. We already took the offering, so you can just relax, all right? Um, but this is an important topic in our life as followers of Christ. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths do not destroy and where thieves do not break, up, break in and steal. And then he said this. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. In other words, Jesus taught us that your heart will follow your treasure. What you do, what you do with your money eventually will, will shape and determine what happens in your soul. And so because of this, um, serious Christians, Christians who really want to stay close to Christ, have, have, have understood that a very important practice for them is the practice of disciplining ourselves when it comes to our giving, disciplined giving. Now, what is that? What does that look like? Well, to answer that question, I, I want us to look at these two passages that Raul just read for us. The first is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The second is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So these are two different books in the Bible, but they're portions of letters that were written to the same church. Both of these are letters to the, the church in ancient Corinth. And I, I think that these two passages, I think they teach us two things. They teach us how to give, and they teach us how to want to give. In other words, they show us a method for Christian giving, and they show us the motive for, for this kind of giving. So we'll start by just talking about the method. 
the question I want to ask is, as followers of Christ, how, how should we give? Well, if you look at that first section from 1 Corinthians 16, Corinth, where this church was located, Corinth was a very prosperous city in ancient Greece. So the members of the church in Corinth, they lived relatively comfortable lives. They lived lives of a certain degree of affluence. And they heard the report that the Christians in Judea, in Jerusalem, that those Christians were suffering intensely. We, we read of a famine that struck Judea back in those times. We know that there was lots of persecution in, in Jerusalem. So there was, there was just a, a time of severe uh, poverty that was uh, facing the church in Jerusalem. And when these affluent Christians in Corinth heard this, they reacted to that news the way that I suspect you would. They, they heard this, and their heart's desire was to do something to help. They wanted to, they wanted to raise money to send to help these Christians in Jerusalem. So in this passage in 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul is writing to them, and he's giving them some instructions about how to discipline their giving to accomplish that goal, how to discipline themselves in their giving so that they, with their financial resources, could make a difference in this world for Christ. Now, it's interesting, Paul tells them that these, the, the instructions he's giving to them were the same instructions he gave to some other churches, the churches in Galatia. And I would infer from that that these are not just specific words for one specific church, but just kind of general principles of Christian giving that can be beneficial to all of us. So um, what do we learn about Christian giving from, from that first section, 1 Corinthians 16? I, I, let me suggest a few things. First, I would say that this passage teaches us that as Christians, giving is expected. Christian giving is expected. Let me read again for us, starting at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 16. The apostle says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money. And I emphasize the phrase, each one of you. The apostle was telling them as a congregation that as they follow Jesus Christ together, they should understand that every member of their church ought to be involved to some degree involved in their communal act of giving. You see, for Christians, giving is not just for the very rich, is it? It's not just for the spiritually mature. Every Christian is, just in some sense, expected to give. That's an idea that you can trace way back to the Old Testament um, when the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, would come to worship God at the tabernacle that Moses had built for them in the wilderness. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 16, the word of God to them was this, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each one of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. That was, that was way back in ancient times. That was in the times of the early church. The message was each one of you must bring a gift. Now, I wonder how that sounds to you. It might sound harsh to some people. God says everybody has to give. I, I don't think he wants us to hear it that way. I, I suspect God wants us to hear this as, as just really a wonderful, a wonderful um, glimpse into the way he views each one of us. When I, was, uh, when I was in kindergarten, I was five years old, and I used to receive an, a, uh, an allowance of one nickel, five cents every week from 
my parents. And I know the young people are thinking, well, I bet that was a lot of money back then. No, it wasn't. I'm not that old, all right? Uh, even back then, the five cents was not very much. But I remember that when I was a kid, my, my mother, on Sunday mornings before we went to church, she would sit down with me, and b- besides telling me what clothes to put on, she would look at my pennies, and she would help me to prepare my offering to give in church. It was my first lesson in, in, in division. I did not understand the math, but she, she was just teaching me to tithe, teaching me to give one-tenth of my income. And she said, David, you can't give a tenth of a nickel. I had no idea why. So she said, every other week, you're to give one penny to the Lord. And so she, every other week, she would help me to select one penny. She'd say, David, put it in your pocket. Don't lose this. Don't lose this. This is important. When we're in church and they pass the plate, you put this in the plate. This is your gift to God. This is your gift to God. And I would do that. Now, I look back now and I realize the budget of our family church did not rise or fall on my giving, all right? I'm sure it was a grand total of 26 cents a year, right? It was probably a nuisance for the trustees to have to count. Who who keeps putting pennies in the offering plate, right? But let me tell you, I am so grateful to my mother that she taught me that. Why? You know what she was teaching me? She was teaching me that I mattered to God. Little five-year-old kid, nothing to offer, you know, in the eyes of the world. But, but in the eyes of God, she was teaching me, I mattered to him. My offering was important to him. And listen, that, that's what God wants us all to understand. That the reason why giving is expected from all of us, listen, it is not because God is some kind of greedy ogre who wants to milk something out of everybody in the room. No, it's not that. The reason it's expected of all of us is because we are all God's children. And no matter what we give, each one of us is important to him. He loves us. He wants us to know that through our giving, we're making a difference in his world. And Philippians 4 verse 18 would say, each one of us, no matter what we give, our gift, even a little five-year-old's penny, is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. So why is giving expected from all of God's people? Because all of God's people and each of God's people are important to Him. So first we learn here that that Christian giving is expected. Second thing we learn from this, this beginning passage in 1 Corinthians 16 is that Christian giving is proportionate. In other words, we are all expected to give, but we are not all expected to give the same amount. The apostle said, each one of you should set aside a sum of money, look, in keeping with your income. Those who earn more will give more. Those who earn less will give less. We give a proportion of what we receive from the Lord. Now, somebody will want to ask, well, what what should the proportion be? 5%, 8%, 10%, 15%? Did you notice that Paul doesn't say? He doesn't doesn't spell that out. In, In the Old Testament, you read that the very minimum percentage that God would ever suggest to his people for their giving was 10% of their income. Paul is writing with that in the background. So I think it's, it's probably safe to say that he has something like that in mind. But the point, the point is the amount we give will depend on the amount we have. And I would suggest to you that, again, here we see the beautiful love of God. Why? Guys, listen to me. 
with our God, the bottom line is not the bottom line. Isn't that something? The bottom line with God is not the amount that you give. It just, to, to me, that, that really thrills me to think about our God, that he invites us to be part of a, a community of men and women, boys and girls, where, listen, where big donors are not valued more than small donors. Isn't it great to be part of a, a community like that? Where God says it's not the amount, it's, it's the, I want you to give in accordance with your income. It's not always like that in this world. If you... Uh, Go visit any college campus or any university campus and walk around. You'll notice that basically every building there is named after someone, right? The gymnasium, the field house is the Johnson Field House. And, and, and the, uh, the Center for Performing Arts is the Kowalski Center for the Performing Arts. And, and the student dormitory is, you know, the uh, whatever, Rodriguez Memorial Student Dormitory. It's always named after somebody. And you ask yourself, I wonder who these people are that all these buildings are named after. I'll tell you who they are. They are very, very, very wealthy people who can donate and have donated perhaps gifts of millions, and it didn't affect them at all. Now, for most of us, you might be an alumnus of that college. You might have graduated with honors. You might have more school spirit than anyone else. You watch every football game of your school, and you could go home and give every penny you ever earned to that school. And I'll tell you what, they will not name a building after you. And you know why? Because you'll never be rich enough to make a difference, ever. Guys, aren't you glad our God is not like that? He doesn't, he doesn't lift up the rich and put down the poor. He doesn't put plaques on the wall of his kingdom. This person gave this, this person gave that. He just... He treasures every one of our gifts. He says, give in proportion, to, in proportion to your income. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, he said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water, can you imagine being so poor that all you could give is a cup of cold water? He said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will not lose their reward. So for Christians, giving is expected. We're all important to God. Giving is proportionate. We don't all have the same income. And then one more thing I would say about Christian giving. Christian giving is confident. Christians are confident givers. When, when followers of Jesus Christ give to the Lord's work in the Lord's name, they can be confident that the God who provided them with the gift that they're giving will continue to provide for them in the future and take care of their needs. There's just confidence God will provide for their needs. Now, you see that I think alluded to at the very end of this, this passage in 1 Corinthians 16. Paul, Paul is giving them some instructions on how to give, and he's saying to them, guys, if you give this way, if you all get involved in the act of giving, you all give you know, proportionate to your income, if you all do this, he says at the very end, look at these words, he says, when I come, in other words, when I come to receive this offering and take it down to those, those saints in Jerusalem, he says this, when I come, no collections will have to be made. In other words, listen, you don't have to worry. There will be no shortfall. You don't have to worry. There will be no, there will be no deficit. You won't be scampering around looking for more money. There, there, will need, there will be no anxiety over financial need. You will meet the goal of, of giving to the Lord's work, and he's implying God will provide for your needs. 
Have you ever seen God provide for your needs as you give to his work? That's, that, that is a principle you find throughout Scripture. We find in Scripture this principle of the kingdom. Guys, our God is, is a generous God. He loves it when he sees generosity welling up in the hearts of his people. And he loves to honor generosity by just pouring out blessing on those who give. You don't believe me. Let me, let me read a few, a few short passages from the Bible that declare this, this truth. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 11, verse 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. These are Luke chapter 6, verse 38, some words Jesus said. He said this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So when we give to the Lord's work, we just give with this confidence. God gave me everything I'm giving right now. I don't have to worry that he's going to stop giving in the future. He will take care of my needs. So I wonder if any of you have ever seen that happen in your life. Maybe you, you've committed yourself to a discipline of giving to, to the Lord's work, and then you went through some really hard times financially, and you just kept giving and kept trusting. Has that ever happened to you? And then God has provided. I would suggest that if any of us are having lunch together today after the, in the afternoon, wouldn't that be a great conversation? That always encourages me for, uh, to hear of the ways God has provided for others. Just share with each other. You know, I saw God provide for me in this way. It was great. God does that. So that this is what we learned about how we give as Christians. When, when we give, we all get involved, even down to the five-year-olds, all right? We all, we all do what we can, right, uh, in proportion to our income. And we all give with this confidence. God is going to take care of my needs. So that's, uh, that's Christian giving. That's how we do it. Now, second point. How do we make ourselves want to do it? And this is the struggle. How do we, how do we, how do we be motivated to give this way? And, I, and that's, a, that's an important question because for many, many Christians, not for all, but for many, Giving is a struggle. I mean, any Christian man or woman I've ever met, sincerely, in their heart, they want to be generous. They want to be open-handed and big-hearted with their life. They want, they want to be givers. They, I've never met a Christian who says, you know, I want to be a slave to financial fear. I want to be, I, I want to be in love with material things of the world. No, no one wants that. If you know Jesus, you just want to give. And yet, for many of us, it is so hard. It's so hard to do. So, apparently, that's what happened with the Corinthians. That between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they, they started out with good intentions. They really, really wanted to give to help these, these Christians in Jerusalem, but apparently somewhere it went off the rails. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they found themselves just getting afraid that they wouldn't have enough for them, or maybe they began to get a little bit greedy. It is, it's easy to kind of become enamored with the things of the world. Whatever it was, uh, they struggled. And so Paul wrote to them now in 2 Corinthians, 
And in chapter 8 and chapter 9, two chapters, Paul talks to them again about giving. But this time, he's not telling them how to give. He's telling them how to want to give. He's just trying to motivate them, to free them from their fear, to free them from their reluctance, so that they are free to do what their hearts long to do. So how does Paul motivate them to give? If you ever go and read these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, you'll read this, this whole kind of motivational speech from him on how to give. And it's intriguing to notice what the apostle does not do in motivating them. For, for example, you will notice there, the apostle does not manipulate them at all. He does not play on their emotions. There no, he doesn't give them any sad stories about the poor children in Jerusalem and little Johnny went to bed hungry last night. And if, if you had just been giving the cost of one cup of coffee every day, you could have fed him. There's, listen, there's no, there is none of that emotional manipulation, no manipulation. There's, there's also, there's no intimidation. You know, he, he does not berate them. He doesn't insult them. He doesn't shame them because they're struggling to give. He, he doesn't make fun of them for this. In fact, you'll notice here, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8, he actually praises them. He says, you, you, ex, you guys excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we've kindled in you. He says, you guys are great Christians. You're doing a good job. He said, I just want to help you excel in the grace of giving. So there's no manipulation, there's no intimidation, there's also no domination. He, there, there are no power plays. The apostle never, he never uses his position of authority as a leader in the church to bully them into giving. Sometimes that happens. Um, you, I used to be a pastor of a church in North Jersey, and I remember one day the phone in the church office rang. I answered the phone. It's a woman from the community I'd never met. Apparently, she knew somebody in our congregation, and she said, I, I wonder, I heard about your church. I'm wondering if you could help me. My mother just passed away, and we need somebody to do the funeral service. And I said, oh, I'd be glad to help. And then she said, but I, I should tell you, we, we are members of another church, and she named the church. She said, but my minister refuses to do my mother's funeral. And I said, Why? And she said, because we've fallen behind on our giving this year. Doesn't it just make you cringe? If, if, listen, if you've ever encountered that kind of abuse of power in the church to bully people into giving, and, and maybe that's even embittered you to Christ, I want you to know that that is not the Spirit of Christ. That's not from the Bible. The apostle does, he does none of that. In fact, you'll notice here, verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 8, he says this, I am not commanding you. If you don't want to give, you don't have to give. In chapter 9, he says, I don't want anyone in the church giving under obligation or out of a sense of reluctance. None of that. There's, so isn't this it's amazing? The way he motivates, there's no manipulation, there's no intimidation, there's no power plays. So how does he motivate them to give? Well, what, what he does, any modern fundraising consultant would just laugh at him. Paul, are you crazy? That's not the way to raise money. How, how does he motivate them to give? You know what he does? He just talks about Jesus. He just talks about the love of Jesus. He reminds them of the gospel. You see that in verse 9. This is a, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is a verse worth memorizing. This is beautiful. Here's, here's what he says. 
He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's the whole message of the gospel in, in, in a nutshell. He's saying, listen, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the eternal Son of God, for, who forever had, dwell, had, had dwelled in um, resplendent majesty and glory of heaven, he gave up all of that, came to this earth, died on the cross, a penniless peasant, and he did this because he loves you. He gave up his wealth so that he could share the wealth of his kingdom and the love of God with you forever. That's what Jesus did for you. He just reminds him of that. By the way, I would just pause. If you're, if you're not a Christian, maybe it's your first time in this church, and here we are talking about money. Like, oh, you think, I, I knew it. I knew it. These Christians, all they want is money. What we want you to hear is the gospel today. God is not after your wallet. God is not after anything he can get for you. You don't have anything you can offer to God except what I offered to God when I came to Jesus. You know what I had? The only thing I had to offer, my sin. That's all you have to give him. God is not looking to get from you anything. God wants to give. He loves people like you so much he gave his only son. And if you will trust in Christ, God will give you the fullness of all of his forgiveness, all of his kingdom glory, all of it given to you. That's the gospel. And in motivating them to give, all Paul does just reminds them of that. Now, I wonder if the, the gospel ever motivated you to give. You, how do you, you ever ask yourself, why does, it, why does knowing about Jesus just make me want to give? I, 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 here's, here's why I think the way it works. The gospel does two things for us real quick. First, the gospel just sets us free from fear. When you understand the gospel, you say to yourself, man, any, listen, any God who loved me so much, he gave his son for me, I don't have to worry that he'll ever forget me. He will never, ever forget me. He will always be there. He will take care of me. I don't have to be afraid of anything at all in the future. I can give recklessly, joyfully, because I have a God who loves me. So it sets you free from fear. The second way I think the gospel helps us give is just, um, just good old-fashioned gratitude. I mean, just gratitude. So if Jesus, Jesus gave his life for me, I want to give back. I wonder if you've seen that movie Schindler's List. It's kind of an old movie, and it tells the story of, of Oscar Schindler. Oscar Schindler was a, an, a German industrialist in, in Nazi Germany and a wealthy man who had a, had a factory. And when he found out what was happening in the concentration camps, that Jewish men and women and their families were being sent to die, he, he, it, it moved him, and so he decided to do everything he could to rescue as many people as possible. So he leveraged his, his position of influence. He gave much of his wealth. He even put his life at risk, and he rescued, they tell us, close to 1,200 Jewish men and women and their families. And, and the, the Jewish people that he rescued, who eventually were sent to live in Israel, they called themselves the Schindler Juden. They called themselves Schindler's Jews. Well, what you don't see in the movie is that after the war, Oscar Schindler fell on, upon some very hard times. 
He and his wife moved to Argentina. He tried his hand at farming. He was a failure. They went bankrupt. He moved back to West Germany. He tried some other businesses. Those also uh, failed. He found himself a very, very poor man. Somebody heard about this, and that person went to the Schindler Juden, these people that he had, he had rescued, to raise funds to help Oscar Schindler, to ask them for a contribution. Now, it, because of my role in ministry, I've been involved in fundraising over the years. I mean, I guess every year we have to raise money for the church budget, and I've, I've been involved in a building project before, raising money for a church building. I've been involved in raising money for missions. And I, I can tell you from, from my little experience with this, uh, fundraising is not easy. It is not easy to do, to go to people and, and, and ask them for money, Right. But I think that when they went to the Schindler Juden and asked them to contribute to, to help Oscar Schindler, I think that was probably the easiest fundraising assignment in the history of the world. I imagine they went to them and said, listen, guys, Oscar Schindler is very poor and we're asking for contributions. Stop, say no more. Oscar Schindler, where's my checkbook? How much do you need? I'll give you twice what you're asking. I think they just gave so willingly. Why? Because they were wealthy people? No, they were not. They were concentration camp survivors. Why did they give? You know the answer. Gratitude. Just pure gratitude. This is a man who, even though we were not related to him, we were not even of the same ethnic background, no connection to him. He risked everything. He risked his life to save us. Yes, we want to give. And guys, if your non-Christian friends ever ask you why you love to give so much to the Lord's work, that's, you just say that. In fact, it's beyond what Oscar Schindler did. Jesus didn't just risk his life to save us, did he? He gave his life. So how do we explain our giving? We just say, I'm just so grateful. I'm just so grateful. I'm just so grateful for what he did for me. If you don't, if you don't know Christ in that way that has, just elicits that kind of gratitude, what we want you to hear today is not some of kind of guilt trip you need to be giving more. In fact, if you don't know Christ, we don't want you to give anything. We want you to receive today. Receive what? I would love it. If you're ready, if you're ready, I would love, if you've never done this, I would love for somebody here today just to say, Jesus, I need you. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. I need the hope and the purpose that you can give to you. I just need a Savior, and I will receive. That would be wonderful. And if you know Christ that way, don't you just love him? Don't you just want to give? Let, would you let the gospel set you free from any kind of fear that would hold you back, fill you with this kind of life-giving gratitude, and let Jesus teach you how to be a giver? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God whose deep desire is to bless your children, to give to us, to show us the, the, the magnitude of your love. We pray that you would give us open hearts to receive all that you have to give. In Christ's name, amen.